This is the message given by Pastor James Lim during the evening worship service at Faith Presbyterian Church, Long Beach, California, for January 14th, 2024. The title of the message is, When God Feels Far Away, Part 1. If you would open your Bibles with me to Psalm 10, uh, taking a little break from our uh, whatever series uh, we have begun, just taking some time to preach through some some standalone psalms, and I decided uh, to um, split Psalm 10 into two parts. This evening we're going to look particularly at the first 11 verses, uh, and then next week we'll we'll take the rest. But I'll read the whole psalm. Here then now the reading of God's word, beginning in verse 1 of Psalm 10. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. His judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages, in hiding places. He murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord, O God. Lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? But you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and to the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. May he add his blessing to it this evening. You know, when we go through through hard times, sometimes... um, whether it's of our own doing or sometimes as a matter of circumstance, we can feel lost and alone. We feel like no one cares about us. We feel like the world is closing in and there's no one to help us. Even when we cry out to God, we feel like he's not there to listen. We cry out for help and it feels like no one's there to answer. It feels like our prayers just don't reach him. When we're going through hard times like that, the question that that uh, every Christian, I think, asks at that moment is why does God feel so far away? 
This is the question that the psalmist addresses in the midst of his difficulty here in Psalm 10. And in asking that question, he helps us understand why God seems so far in times of trouble. But in actuality, he's not far. He is as close to us as our confession unto him. Uh, and so, uh, so that's what I want us to look at this evening, that um, this is a psalm of lament in which he's complaining to God uh, of his circumstances. And it just, as he's doing it, he just feels that God is far away. And so as we look at this, it gives us a picture into why we feel like God is far away, when in actuality, he's not. So why does God feel so far away? God can feel far away in times of trouble because the wicked prosper. This is a theme throughout the whole of scripture, that the righteous suffer oppression while the wicked prosper. And we know that a God of justice Uh, shuns that. He hates that. This is not the way the world is supposed to work because there is a God of justice who loves the poor, who loves the needy, the fatherless, and the widow. That's what we see throughout the Old Testament, that God is on the side of the weak. And yet when the wicked prosper... Uh, the people of God, those who believe and trust in, the, in this God of justice, this God of compassion and mercy, they think that God is not doing what he's supposed to do. And that's why God feels far away. Because here, what we see here in Psalm 10 uh, is that the psalmist identifies with the poor who are suffering at the hands of the wicked. Or else he wouldn't be uh, lamenting as he does here. Or else he wouldn't feel like God is so far away. And so the psalmist then is looking at how the wicked persecute the poor and the needy and how they prosper in the meantime. And so the scenario here, just think of, of the scenario of this lament where the the wicked are prospering and they're oppressing the poor. And then in verse one, he asks, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Right? Look at what's going on and, and, and you're nowhere to be found. Right? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Why are you letting this happen, in other words? And, and, I, and when you think about that, those questions, uh, It's not like no one's ever asked those questions before. I mean, this is a normal, natural response when you know the God of the Bible and yet you see injustice and oppression happening in our world, right? This is one of the reasons why so many people in our society and our culture say they don't believe in God because if if there is a good God, why does he allow good people to suffer, They already know that in a fallen world, this is not the way it's supposed to be. And because of that, they they feel far away from God, and so they reject God. That if if the God of the Bible is true and all of this is happening, then a God who lets that happen, I don't want to believe. That's what what, uh, uh, people say. 
And in some way, in some way, the psalmist is reminding us of that inclination that we all have. That uh, where is God in the midst of all this suffering? Why does he let uh, the wicked prosper? Why does he let uh, good, bad things happen to good people? And as we answer that question, we will understand why God seems so far away. So then beginning in verse 2, he gives us a litany of the attributes of the wicked. And, and here what he's saying is, is that here, is the re, here are the reasons why you ought to not let the wicked prosper. Here are the reasons why bad things are happening to uh, weak and needy and good people. And Lord, implicit in, in this line of argument is, Lord, don't let this happen. Right? The, the wicked are like this. And then he, this litany begins with uh, the arrogance of the wicked. Right? Look at what, what they do. They oppress the poor, verse, uh, verse 2. In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes um, that they have devised. Right? Let them fall into their own traps, but don't let them get away with it. See, arrogance is one of the reasons why the poor suffer because the wicked are so arrogant that they think they can get away with it. They think that they are so uh, much better than the poor. They have so much power and riches and prestige and reputation than the poor, more influence than the poor, that they can get away with it. And that's why they, can, they see it as license to oppress and to fleece the poor. Not only are they arrogant, but they're boastful, right? Uh, that um, they boast in themselves, and when they do that, they curse and renounce the Lord. See, here's the, the dichotomy of what boasting means, that you can only boast either in God or in yourself. You can only boast in God or in something other than God, but you cannot boast in both, right? It's something very similar, right? That you cannot serve God and money, right? You'll hate the one and love the other, but you cannot have two masters. You can't boast of two masters, right? And so if you boast in yourself, then I think what the psalmist is saying here is that you are then gonna going to give by implication anti-praise, against the Lord. You're going to curse him and renounce him as God. And so the wicked boast in themselves rather than in the Lord, in his character, power, goodness, glory, and grace. And, um, and that's why in many circumstances in our culture, when people boast in themselves in many times, you know, sometimes people go way overboard, but the essence of their self-boasting is a self-deification. You know, uh, you know, different personalities will say, oh, that person is a god, a god of photography, a god of uh, celebrity, a god of sports, and, um, and so the psalmist is 
speaking to that inclination that when we boast in ourselves, we self-deify. And in doing so, we curse God and renounce the Lord. Then, you know, the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouths, our mouths speak, right? So if you're boasting in yourself, then what's the condition of your heart? It is pride, right? This is out of the fullness of the pride in our heart, we are going to boast. So he's kind of going backwards from arrogance to boasting down deep into uh, the source of that boasting, which is the heart. And look at what he says there. This is what the heart of pride is in verse uh, four. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him, right? Doesn't seek the Lord. And here is the essence of the heart of pride. This is what they, in effect, say to themselves in their thoughts. All his thoughts are, there is no God. See, atheism is not a new thing. And there's nothing new under the sun. Maybe there's a, a, a modern version of atheism that we come across but atheism as atheism has always existed. Wherever there is pride, wherever there are wicked men who boast in themselves, and one of the ways in which they can boast in, them, in themselves is to, is to say that God doesn't exist. That it was back then, and that's exactly what we see now. And this is the essence of evil in the heart of sinful men. This is what makes people so wicked is that they deny the existence and reality of God. And when they live out of this functional atheism, everything they do is evil. This is why I think some of the most evil acts in all of human history arose out of this particular heart. Because there is no God, I can do whatever I want. And, and the book of Judges describes it this way. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes, right? Because functionally, if there's no God to tell them what to do, I'm the only arbiter of what's right and wrong, and I'm going to do what I think is right. And when that happens, you have the whole book of Judges, you have anarchy, you have lawlessness, you have atrocities, you have barbarism, you have every man for himself, dog eat dog. And uh, so here's the logic of, of this functional atheism that has always uh, existed along with uh, sinful men, that if there's no God, there is no evil. If there is no evil, then there's no justice. If there's no justice, there's no right or wrong. If there's no right or wrong, then there's no heaven or hell. If there's no hell, then I can do whatever I want. And as I mentioned this morning, this is the heart of Friedrich Nietzsche's philosophy uh, and the will to power, that if there is no God, uh, we get to decide what's right and wrong for ourselves. And this is why Hitler then could kill six million Jewish men, women, and children, uh, gypsies, ethnic minorities, the handicapped, the undesirables of society. Another aspect of the wickedness, uh, the arrogance of the wicked, is the idea that nothing can stand in the way of the wicked. 
They are so confident in their will to power. They're so strong. It's so deep in their hearts that for them, nothing can stop them. Look at verse six. This can have two, this can have two I think you can look at this as two, in two ways. Uh, look at verse six. I shall not be moved, right? Nothing is going to move me. Nothing is going to affect me. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. Uh, his mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. And so what I think the, the, the psalmist is capturing here is there's nothing I can't handle. And if there's an obstacle in my way, I'm just going to bulldoze over it. And that's how he sees the, the poor, the needy, the weak. They are just obstacles in his way. And so he's going to just trample them underfoot. So that's one way that the wicked, uh, uh, the, the, their pride sees uh, the world. Uh, the other way to think about it too, and I think this is legitimate for, for a, a different perspective of the wicked, is that they think that life is so good because they are wicked, because they've accumulated for themselves all this wealth and power, they can live high on the hog. They can live in their mansions. They can have all the servants that they want. Life is going to be good. You know, it's, uh, it's so ironic and so sad that all the dictators that you see throughout the world, they shield themselves from the suffering and the poverty of their own people by living in luxury setting up for themselves castles in the middle of uh, absolutely impoverished nations, uh, gold, gold-plated gold toilets. That's, I, I mean, you, you would see pictures uh, during the Gulf War, uh, the fall of Saddam, gold-covered toilets uh, in these mansions uh, of all the members of Saddam Hussein's family. Um, and so, so that's what verse six is saying is that life, I have no adversity. There's nothing anyone can do to me. And again, it's a, it's an offshoot of their self deification because the only one who could really ever say that there's nothing that can move them that we hear about in scripture is God. God is the only one, or, or at least the, the believer who puts all of their trust in God knows that, 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 that it's because of God that they shall never be moved. But if you take God out of the equation and you say, I shall never be moved, what you're saying is, I am God. And, um, and as a result, then, they plot and plan to ambush uh, the poor, lurking like a lion ready to pounce on them, as prey and to seize and capture them, to crush and to sink them down. And at the heart of the pride of the wicked is this. Look at what he says there um, in verse 11. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. He is so blinded by his arrogance and pride that he comforts himself in the idea that no matter what evil he's done, no matter how vicious and, and wicked he has been, in the end, right, even though I said there's no God, God doesn't care. 
God doesn't see. God is going to forget. This is what the wicked have to comfort themselves. This is what they have to tell themselves to suppress their conscience, to know, to, uh, to live with themselves, to look in the mirror uh, in the midst of all the wicked that they've done. God doesn't care, and I'm going to get away with it. And here I think this is a, a Holy Spirit-inspired insight into the heart of evil and sin. That when people do evil, they go against that God-given conscience that tells them that something's wrong. What they're doing is not right. And there's going to be uh, justice to be paid if they're caught. But deep down inside, we all know that the evil that that we do is not only wrong, but there's going to be uh, uh, an account that will come. But in the meantime, if, if you're the wicked person, uh, you're going to try and rationalize it. You're going to try and justify it. And verse 11 is one of the ways in which they do that. Uh, so uh, even though they say that there is no God, they make up an excuse. Uh, God won't remember. God doesn't care. God doesn't see. But in actuality, here's the thing. In actuality, he knows. He knows all, sees all. He cares. And one day he will call the wicked to account and bring them before his great throne of judgment and bring his justice upon them. If not in their lifetime, then on the last day of final judgment, when he will judge every evil thought, word, and deed that has ever been committed. On that day, he will send his son back to return and judge the world with justice, righteousness, and equity, and no evil will be passed by. This has a few applications that I'd like to point out. First, it's not just the wicked heart, but it speaks to our own sinful hearts to ask, to, to, to say in verse 11, right? That God is forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. See, whenever we go against our consciences and sin against the Lord, even after we've been saved, even after we've received the grace of God in Christ, even after we know that certain things are sinful and wrong. This is the heart that justifies and rationalizes sin. We become functional atheists and we say to ourselves, you know, at this moment there is no God so I can do whatever I want. And then we do it. And then when our consciences get the better of us and we have to look ourselves in the mirror, then we try to rationalize ourselves by saying, you know, God, God will forget. God doesn't care, or maybe God didn't see. Why? Because I did it. If he really did, if, and, and this, this is just kind of a twisted way of thinking about it, but if he didn't want me to do it, then he would have stopped me somehow. But he didn't, and so he must not have been watching. And so I got away with it. I'm going to do it. And this is what we really say in our own hearts, right? Every lie that we've told, every sin that we've committed, we have a willful amnesia 
of God's existence and of his grace and of his holiness in our lives. Or else we wouldn't have done the sin that we committed. Uh, clicking that web page, uh, not care, you know, and, and and not and thinking, you know, God doesn't care about how I live my life. He doesn't care that I'm going to move in with my girlfriend. I can't tell you, I can't tell you how many Christian couples that I've come across who file for divorce and act as if God doesn't care about their sin. God wants me to be happy. Or you know what? God, you know, God forgives, that's his job, and I'm just going to do it. Uh, a second application is that we have to push back against this functional atheism that can poison our hearts. The wicked and the believer both feel here as if God is far away when he really isn't. We can't live by our feelings, but by what we know to be true in God's word. And what does God's word say? That, that God is omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, that he is good and just and holy. He is there and he sees everything and he deeply cares about what is just and what is right and what is good. So when the wicked prosper and we're the ones suffering, it doesn't mean that God is far away. It doesn't mean that God doesn't care. He's always there and he's going to intervene at his time, not ours. See, sometimes that's why God feels so far away, because he is not acting when we think he should act. He is not acting the way that we think he should act and do. Hey, we think that he should follow our agenda and our timing and do what we think needs to be done. And if he's not doing that, then Forget God. He's far away. He's not listening to me. Or else we cry out, God, why are you so far away? You're not doing what I think you should do. Do you see the logic there? And I think we as Christians fall into this trap that we think God should follow our agenda. But just because we don't see God acting, just because we don't see uh, something happening exactly there where justice is being done at that moment, it doesn't mean God isn't in the background doing everything, putting everything together so that justice will come. Uh, this just reminds us again of the mystery of God's providence that God's justice is according to his time. And, and even if justice doesn't come in our lifetime or in the lifetime of the people who have been unjustly oppressed, uh, and let's just say, for example, you know, when Hitler killed himself, people thought that he got away with it. A judgment, a final day of judgment will come and he will bring to account all his justice. And we can trust in that too. That God is not far away. And so if we think that people are getting away with wickedness in our own lives, committing them against us, 
we can give it to the Lord. He's not far away. We just give it to the Lord. God says, uh, uh, don't take revenge because vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Um, and so we just remember those promises that God has given to us that are so precious. They're like gold uh, to us in God's word. I will never leave you nor forsake you, but I will always be with you to the very end. Uh, Jesus' very name is Emmanuel, God with us. When Jesus left to go into heaven and gave the great commission, behold, I'm with you always to the very end. Right? That, that is an unconditional, universal statement. I'm not going to be with you most of the time. I'm not going to be with you sometimes. I will always be with you. So when you feel like God is far away, here's my question to you. Is he far away? No. It's we who make him feel far away. Or we, 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 we perceive and we feel that he is far away. And maybe we're the ones who are far away from him. We haven't opened our Bibles uh, to, to inquire of him. We haven't communed with him. We haven't prayed to him. All we do is complain, but we haven't cried out to him and asked him for his grace, for his mercy, to give us wisdom in the midst of our suffering, to bring justice. All we've done is complain. And so I'm just, all I'm saying here is to draw near to God if he feels far away. But when you do that, God has all it is is that God is exactly where he's always been. We are just turning around to see how close he really is. And that's what we should do in the midst of our suffering and of the oppression. Let me close with this final thought. Here's where the gospel, the gospel of the nearness of God, reminds us over and over again that God stood far away from Jesus as he bore our sins. When he who knew no sin became sin for us so that, it, he, that we might become the righteousness of God, that he was the righteous one who took upon the sin of the unrighteous to bring us to God so that when he bore our sins and God poured out his wrath, he stood far away from Jesus and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And why did Jesus do that? So that God would never, ever stand far away from you. That he is as near to you as, as, as you call upon him from your mouth. So that you might be forgiven, you might be justified, adopted and that he would always be with you in the midst of all of your trials that even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death you will fear no evil because thou art with me let's pray together our father we thank you for for reminding us that you stand not far away from us but you're always near us Lord, even though the wicked may prosper, your justice will always be the last word. So remind us then that when we feel like you're far away, 
Help us to commune with you and know how close you really are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.